0: This morning's lectionary reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to keep reading through verse 22 because that's the end of the chapter. In the beginning, it's voiced in the words of Moses. So when it says me, the me is Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me and said, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command." Anyone who does not heed the words, the prophet shall speak in my name. I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. You may say to yourself, How can we recognize a word that the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be frightened by it. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. In the churches that raised me there was a phrase that almost always ended debate in business meetings. A man would stand and say some form of God laid on my heart. For example, God laid on my heart that the new carpet needs to be read. I'm sure that you've heard this phrase or something similar. It is certainly used with some frequency on religious television and radio. I have heard this phrase and believe the speaker to be completely sincere. And I have heard this phrase and believe the speaker to be manipulating those listening. How do we know when someone is speaking the word of God? How do we know who to trust? How do we know, from among all the voices clamoring for our attention, who to listen to? What are reliable sources of information? What is the truth? These vital questions have shown themselves to be all the more invaluable over the last several years, as lies and conspiracy theories have become commonplace. Often these lies and conspiracy theories are spouted by those claiming to report the news, and especially by those claiming to speak for God. In those same churches of my childhood and youth where God was regularly laying answers on men's hearts, there always seemed to be a Sunday school teacher or a youth group leader who loved personality typing. These were not the kind of churches to use Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, or even what color is your parachute. No, the churches that raised me had spiritual gift inventories. This was before the internet. There were mimeographed pages with questions, and the questions had multiple choice answers, and the answers had numbers, and the numbers once tallied revealed your spiritual gift. You might learn that you're a teacher, a servant, a follower, a prophet, a healer, things like that. Over however many years, I took this inventory at least five times. Each time, my number added up to a spiritual gift of prophecy. This was not the gift I would have selected for myself. I mean, it's not like the prophets of old had many friends, they were strange, they were upset and upsetting. Isaiah walked naked through the streets of Jerusalem for three years. Ezekiel cut off his hair and divided it up and threw some of it into the wind and burned some of it. He cut a hole in a wall and then he drug furniture through the hole. He laid on his side for days and days and then there's that whole thing with the roasted dung. Jeremiah smashed a pot before his listeners, and later he wore a wooden yoke around his neck. Day after day, he stood at the entrance to the temple, and he plagued the life out of the people with his doomsday predictions. Hosea married a prostitute and then became upset when she continued to earn a living. The prophets were often disliked and disbelieved. They went to extraordinary lengths to get the message they claimed to be from God across, and frankly, I wanted no part of it. I distinctly remember doing one of these inventories in youth group, and after, once again, being declared a prophet, I began to make dire predictions about the end of the world, and appealing to everyone to repent. I quoted liberally from John the Baptist and added a bit of Monty Python. Repent, you brood of vipers. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. The axe lies ready at the root of the trees. It might be worth noting that I was unlikely to have many friends regardless of what my spiritual gifts' inventory revealed. I'm not necessarily ready to call myself a prophet, and yet I ask you to listen to me week after week and i spend time in prayer and spiritual practice and silence seeking words that might be meaningful words from the spirit words that might help us to work for the world we dream of in the week to come our lectionary reading this morning from deuteronomy is set at the end of moses's life the israelites who have escaped slavery in egypt and who have wandered in the desert for 40 years, are finally on the cusp of entering the promised land. Moses is the only leader they've known. His impending death, especially at such a moment, opens many questions and many fears. The scripture offers reassurance in the voice of God. It reads, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command. God is promising the people that Moses will not be the last prophet, that they will not be abandoned when Moses dies, that the dream they've been working toward remains a possibility. The people preparing to enter the promised land seem to be quite clear in their need for a prophet. Our need seems no less now. If we keep reading in Deuteronomy as I did when I read the scripture lesson, we soon come to words about how one knows a true prophet from a false prophet. Two suggestions for proof are offered. Is what is being predicted If what is being predicted comes true, and if the prophet is like Moses, then the prophet is a true prophet. Frankly, I'm not sure how helpful these are. Prophets often speak of the future, not as in tomorrow, but rather the distant future, a future often way beyond their own lifetimes. The test in Deuteronomy certainly helps us with some prophets who claim to speak for God, but not all. We may not see all of Greta Thunberg's statements about what will happen to our planet if we do not make drastic changes come to fruition in our lifetimes, but that does not make her any less of a prophet. And that the prophet will be like Moses is also a bit tricky. How is the prophet like Moses? Adopted? Raised in a palace? Experienced with the care of sheep? A murderer? occasionally angry enough to hit a rock. I find comfort in the promises found in Deuteronomy that Moses is not the last prophet, that God is still speaking. But I find the solutions about how to know a real prophet from a scam artist to be lacking. How do we know someone is speaking for God and not just referencing God as a tool for manipulation? First Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann offers some assistance. He's written many books about the prophets and has been interviewed by everyone, including a great interview with Krista Tippett. I commend it to you. If you're not familiar with Reverend Dr. Brueggemann, here's a quote of his that I rather like. He said, Anybody who is not in touch with the pain of the world probably is not a truth-teller. Let me say it again. Anybody who is not in touch with the pain of the world probably is not a truth-teller. So is the person claiming to speak for God in touch with the pain of the world? Tele-evangelist Kenneth Copeland, in explaining exactly why he needs a luxury private jet to do his job, said, You can't talk to God while flying commercial. He went on to refer to commercial airplanes as, and this is a quote, a long tube with a bunch of demons. This does not sound much like someone who is in touch with the pain of the world to me. Prophets, at their best, live into fearless truth-telling combined with fierce hope. Brueggemann notes that the prophet's power is in wielding language poetically rather than stridently. He says that prophets reframe the big picture of what's at stake so that we can take in the reality of our moment in a new way, with a new sense of what might be possible. He also says that the prophets help us connect the dots between the world as it is and the world as it might be. There's a difference between being bold and being strident. The call-out culture is not prophecy, but certainly neither is silence. There is a balance, a place of truth-telling combined with mercy, We are bound together after all. We rise and fall together. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, as Prophet Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once put it. And so I'd like to add on to Deuteronomy. I'd like to add on words about a prophet being in touch with the pain of the world and truth-telling with mercy. And also it seems helpful to note that the true prophets are almost always talking about justice. Just a couple of chapters before today's lecture, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 16, justice and justice only shall you pursue. So is the person claiming to be a prophet, speaking words of justice for the oppressed, words of freedom for the enslaved, care for the poor? If not, They might be using manipulation rather than meditating on what has come to them from God. I cannot help on this day that we will ordain and commission our deacons but to draw a parallel between deacons and prophets. I hope that you've seen in the newsletter and in emails all about the ordination service that's going to happen today at 11 o'clock on Zoom. I hope that you'll join us. Our worship folder notes that every member of covenant is a minister. I believe this. We minister to each other. We also call out deacons from among our congregation to devote themselves to the work of the spiritual care of our congregation. We choose our deacons because of who they are. We pray that they will be themselves with us, using their gifts in the particular ministry of being a deacon. Part of the litany of the commissioning of the deacons reads, we ask you to guide us on our journey together, to be a step or two ahead, to inspire us to recognize and share our own gifts, to encourage and comfort us when things go wrong and celebrate with us when things are right. While we expect you to do certain tasks, we also ask that you give free rein to your imagination, your insight, your compassion, and your capacity to love. In this spirit together, our community can deepen and grow. This sounds like being a prophet to me, to be a step or two ahead, to inspire, to encourage. Now, it's not just the deacons who are called to this kind of work. We are all ministers. We take turns being set apart for particular tasks within our congregation. I know that for some members of Covenant, who are also ministers, taking on the title of deacon feels overwhelming. So if I suggest that we're also all prophets, that might just be a step too far. But hear me out. God is always speaking, and sometimes we are God's mouthpiece. Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. So writes Emily Elizabeth, so writes Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Sometimes we are the ones who see the fire, who hear the voice. We must stay in touch with the pain of the world and be truth tellers, truth tellers with mercy. We are not the only prophets. There are a lot of us. It seems to me that we each heard a prophetic voice during the inauguration. Amanda Gorman called out the horrors of our current reality, and she called us to our better selves. If you missed her poem, The Hill We Climb, spend time with it today. Read it, yes, read it, but also watch her recite it. Watch her bronze skin and her yellow coat, her small hands and her mighty voice. God is still speaking. I heard God at the inauguration through prophet Amanda Gorman. God said, we lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid if we are to live up to our own time then victory won't lie in the blade but in all the bridges we've made that is the promise to glade the hill we climb if only we dare it's because being american is more than a pride we inherit It's the past we step into and how we repair it. God has raised up another prophet like Moses. Will we hear her? Will we hear each other as we offer our own divine utterances? Will we see the way things are and be brave enough not only to imagine how they might be, but to speak about and work for that future? I pray we will. Amen.